Whether you're making the same breakfast that you have every day or baking a cake for an extra special day, eggs are a staple in our diets. Eggland's best eggs are nutritionally superior to ordinary eggs, containing more vitamins and 25% less saturated fat. Not only are they better for you, but Eggland's best eggs taste better too. There's a reason that they're America's number one eggs. Visit egglandsbest.com for additional information and delicious recipes. You can support this podcast at patreon.com slash partners in crime media. This week's Law and Order Marathon winner is Diana Thompson of Lockport, Illinois. Diana will get a marathon decal showing. She watched 26.2 hours of her favorite crime show. To be next week's winner, sign up at lawandorderpodcast.com. I'm Kevin Flynn with Rebecca Lavoie and Aaron Fox. And these are their stories. You think you know who did it, but you don't know who did it. Law and order, law and order, law and order. It's no ordinary police procedural, baby. It's the FNOG of police procedurals, baby. Law and order, law and order, law and order, law and order. These are their stories, these are their stories. Welcome to These Are Their Stories, the podcast about Network TV's most enduring crime franchise and the real-life cases that inspired their shows. I'm Kevin Flynn. Each podcast will break down an episode of either Criminal Intent, SVU, or The Mothership. And today we're looking at Original Recipe Season 6, Episode 1, Bitter Fruit. Ms. Kincaid, what are the people looking for on this? The victim's a 12-year-old girl, Your Honor. The defendant has a prior... Joining me to do just that is true crime author, the host of Crime Writers On and Slate's Mom and Dad Are Fighting, and now HGTV and me. The greatest podcast ever. Rebecca Lavoy. <laughs> Aloha, Rebecca. Hello, Kevin. I've got my Paul Stewart blazer on, and I am ready to talk about this episode. All right. Another great reference for people who haven't seen the episode yet. <laughs> Rounding out the panel is our special guest, a repeat offender from the upcoming You, Me, and PTSD podcast. Aaron Fox. Hi, Aaron. Hi, guys. So good to see you. I mean, hear you again. Yeah. And, uh, by the way, um, I just have to say really quickly that um, I think you've inspired a thousand Chip and Joanna costumes <laughs> because they were all over my social media. And I think it's all due to you, Rebecca. Well, we are the Chip and Joanna Gaines of true crime, right, Kevin? That is true. I have so much <laughs> shiplap. In the uh, in, in the basement there, I don't know what to do to with it. To clear up the record, though, shiplap is just what's behind the wall that you're not supposed to see. So as much as I love Joanna, that is a bullshit trend. Go ahead, Kevin. Uh, <laughs> so, Aaron, you're coming out with a new podcast. Like we said, it's called You, Me, and PTSD. Uh, sounds uplifting. Yeah, it's just uh, one big... Debbie Downer, womp, womp, womp after another, actually. No, it's, um, you know, I've had some uh, fun traumas in my life that have impacted me a lot. And the things that I have uh, gone through and the therapies that I've done to uh, make myself uh, the awesome podcaster that I am now <laughs> um, have really helped me so much that I thought, you know what, after listening to things like The Hilarious World of Depression and Terrible Thanks for Asking, I was like, I can do this. I have a lot of really good friends who have amazing stories and I have people who are authors who can, you know, weigh in and and do all that kind of stuff and I think that maybe this is my way of giving back to the people who helped me so much. So it's not going to be a bummer all the time because that's just not my personality, but it's really gripping stories and um 
really gripping outcomes from the way people have handled these traumas and um, with a lot of humor and levity, which is hard to find in that kind of a podcast. But um, I think we do it really well. So I'm excited. It's going to be launching soon. Now, why do you think that in the Law & Order audience, there are so many survivors of PTSD and assault who have like really positive reactions to these fictional stories in Law & Order and SVU? Why is that? I th- Honestly, I, I know the reason I was drawn to it after dealing with some of the stuff that I've dealt with, which is, you know, you know uh, in a nutshell, uh, murder in the family and loss of children and um, things like that. And even some um, sexual abuse in the family, which I think when you are experiencing those things and somebody puts them on television in a way that um, sort of desensitizes you to them, it draws you to it like a moth to the flame. You're like more of this so I can see that I'm not the only person out here that's dealing with this. And I'm not the only person who may be intrigued by it because I just there's something in the universe that makes us want to know why you know, and um, maybe Law and Order is not the best example of the wise, but it is definitely an example of, um, you know, some pretty sketchy character studies and, and that kind of stuff. So I think it, it gives people some desensitization and also some some feeling not so alone. And not always, but a lot of times in the Law and Order universe, you get the happy ending on television that you don't always get in real life. It's so true. It's so true. And especially like the early Law and Order days where they still had the death penalty in New York. You're kind of like, <laughs> yeah, <fry." laughs> Oh, my goodness. Now, Aaron, last time you were on, we asked you about your favorite detective team. Favorite Law and Order detective team. This time, can you tell us who your least favorite character is in the Law and Order universe? Serena Sutherland. I'm sorry. <laughs> I know I know I dissed her before. I'm dissing her again because that girl was on that show for so long and I was like, how? Why? She she can't say anything over like the same, I don't know what you we'd even call it, like tone. Everything is the same tone. That's right, Jack. Except for the <laughs> last line she delivered, which was Is this because I'm a lesbian? Is this because I'm a lesbian? <laughs> Like, that was the one time she had some sort of, like, feeling in her voice. And I was like, and she's gone. So, Is it wrong yeah. that I kind of think that it was because she was a lesbian? <laughs> I think so, because really, like, why else would they keep her around that long? They must have found something. It was the deep, dark secret she was keeping. <laughs> I mean, so deep and dark that nobody knew about it. Exactly, exactly. It was. I, I just cannot stand her from day one till the end. I was like, please leave. And I will I will even I will take anybody but you. So yeah, I mean, I'm totally mean. And I just can't stand her. Now let's look at the first half of this episode. Mothership season six, episode one, bitter fruit. Well, Briscoe isn't completely happy with Van Buren's choice for his new partner. <laughs> Ray Curtis smiles a lot, says his prayers, says goodnight to his daughter, and carries one of those newfangled cellular phones. <laughs> so much to hate. The flip version. Yep. Well, this new couple picks up the case of a dead girl dumped in an abandoned lot. A neighbor, too busy eating cornflakes to really give a shit, saw a white van stop there that night. The victim is Jody Gaines, a rich girl caught between divorced parents. What about the doer? He leave a calling card? The rape kit's negative. Forensics has the girl's clothes and the sheet, and there was a white van reported in the area. What about the sheet? The label's from a mail order place, right? The sheet? Oh. 
Blue and white, queen flannel top sheet, part of a set. Company stopped carrying it about four years ago. Now, Jody never made it to her piano lesson. The detectives check the ATM footage from the corner where the bus dropped her off, and they see a white van follow her. It's a glass installation van, so they grill the driver, ex-con Nick Capetti. His alibi was he had dinner with his mother in New Jersey. Of course. Of course he did. His name's Nick Capetti. Capetti. Of course he had his, yeah. (laughs) It could be any night. (laughs) They do visit mom and find the rest of the bed sheets of that matching set. Well, when they try to arrest Capetti, he runs. Then Curtis runs. Then Lenny runs. Just (laughs) not as fast as everybody else. Lenny doesn't run. (laughs) He's panting and like, there's like one quick cutaway of him. (laughs) Poor Lenny. As Kincaid is arraigning Capetti for murder, someone splatters blood and brain matter all over her 1990s androgynous business suit. (laughs) It's Mrs. Gaines who, miraculously, has smuggled a gun into the courtroom and shot the man who killed her daughter. So, of course, we're supposed to think right off that Briscoe isn't going to like this new partner. Yeah. I mean, why would he? He's handsome. He's sweet. He's trying to make friends. He's actually a really good cop who cracks the case. Why wouldn't Briscoe like this guy, right? I mean, how's it going? It's only been a month. Come on, Lenny. He's okay. What, for a kid? I got ties older than him. And some shoes, too, I think. This is Curtis on the nose episode. (laughs) Like every single beat of his character is like supposed to make us know exactly who he is instantly in the first episode. (laughs) He crosses himself at the crime scene over the girl's body and he's like, oh, my daughter says goodnight. And he's like trying to play all cute. I'm just like, okay. And and then like all of a sudden he can't he can't even like deal with the trauma of seeing this girl and he has this like quote unquote thousand mile stare (laughs) happening in the uh, interrogate or no in uh, Van Buren's office. But then like two seconds later, he's in the interrogation room with the bus driver going, I don't know, man, it's not my bag, but maybe 12 year olds in bobby socks make you horny. And you're like, what? (laughs) (laughs) What just happened? No, Aaron's Aaron's totally right. And I was I I will say the one thing I will defend Curtis on in this episode was he actually did some good, like actual police work in this episode. He's the one who had all the Mm -hmm. ideas. But he's a total sanctimonious prick with the whole trying too hard with uh, Lenny and then also with the divorced parents and talking about them with Lenny, Uh, who I clearly know he hasn't been he doesn't know that Lenny's been divorced is like studies prove dot 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 they have to be asking themselves the question what question is that well if the family was still together maybe the girl would be alive so uh, you think they should have toughed it out together under the same roof studies prove it Lenny kids are better off yeah, or we might be talking about two dead bodies instead of one he's like that dick in every like 11th grade math class who's like Actually, when the teacher like <laughs> teaches how to do it for me, he's that's how he is in this episode. I get the feeling that the writers knew exactly where Ray Curtis was going to be twenty one episodes from now <laughs> in Jennifer Gardner's bed. <laughs> Ooh, and I, I just can't. I, I I just couldn't get over the fact that he was like, yeah, the studies say thing, and like he's so pretty, and he's like so like family guy, and then. Like he could like get called into the office and bitch slap by Van Buren already for like having one bad moment. And then all of a sudden he turns into like super cop. It was a little it was a little weird for me. I just was like, they're trying too hard with this. Let it unravel over a couple episodes. We don't need to know all of your idiosyncratic ways right now. I, I will say one thing, which is that 
Kevin, you watched this episode like a couple days before I watched it for, mm-hmm. quote, research, as you can call it for the well, show. Jesus, right? who has the right to stuff? <laughs> um, and I walked in the room and I, I didn't know what episode it was. I only saw like 10 seconds of it. And I immediately said to you, oh, that's pre-Julia Roberts, Benjamin Bratt. Like I yeah, knew what, it. Okay. You bring this up all the time. <laughs> what the fuck is this pre-post-Julia Roberts, Benjamin Bratt character that like- Oh, this dog whistle that only, that only you hear. See. Yeah. Okay. So here's the thing. No, Benjamin, I've seen Rebecca. Yeah. I have you, Benjamin Bratt, and in these early episodes, pre him dating Julia Roberts in real life, not pre her appearance on the show, pre okay. his real life ascendance to the A list when he became Julia Roberts' boyfriend, which did happen for a short period of time. Yep. He was on the <laughs> red carpet with Julia Roberts at all these like fancy things. Before he starts dating Julia Roberts, Benjamin Bratt does not play this character as a super handsome, swaggy guy. He plays no. him almost like more like Amaro, like a little bit of like family, earnest. They write him bit, that way? That's or how he, play he it that plays way? it. It is how he plays it. In the episodes post Julia Roberts, him dating Julia Roberts, you walk in and you see a guy who's walking like he's handsome, who's delivering his lines like he's handsome. Like the whole character becomes enshrouded in, I'm a handsome guy in a way that it wasn't before the real-life guy, Benjamin Bratt, started dating the real-life Julia Roberts. I stand by it. Once you see it, you can't unsee it. And I knew immediately that this was pre-Julia Roberts when I walked in the room. Aaron, I know that you are a former reporter at TVGuy.com and that you're a Hollywood (laughs) person. But you know what? Benjamin Bratt now lives in my sister's neighborhood in western Massachusetts. I know. What? He's there That's with his crazy. two kids, and his oldest son is in my nephew's basketball league, and he's pretty fucking good. Um, <laughs> it's way better than my nephew. Hope he's not listening. What? You're amazing. You do so good. You're doing great. You're doing great. But if Benjamin Bratt wanted to come on, I would just say, Mr. Bratt, I completely disown the comments <laughs> of Rebecca Lavoy regarding. I, I'm making an observation. I no, like it's the true. I like the Curtis character before the real life guy started dating Julia Roberts, and I can tell immediately. And Aaron, I think, agrees with me. Yeah, I do because like t- there was like a softness about him in this episode. Mm-hmm. Like even his razor sharp, crazy cheekbones looked softer than they do when he's with Julia Roberts. I don't know if he got some extra implants or he just got, you know, like, he did some Kardashian shading on those bad boys. Like, I don't know what's going on, but, like, he's softer, kinder, like, and then he's got the swagger after Julia. He just walks into everything, and that's why he pisses a lot of people off. You don't hear a lot of people come on the show and be like, I heart Curtis. Curtis is my man. You know, like, he's kind of a dick. Aaron, the other thing that Rebecca always throws out, and I'm going get to get your thoughts on this, she thinks that Van Buren hates Curtis, always has, always does. <laughs> what do you think? I mean, obviously, she's going to ride him in this first episode. This uh, thousand-yard stare, anything behind it I should be concerned about? No, no. It's just this kid. I see her lying on the slab, and I, I can't help thinking it could be one but of them. But it isn't. Look, if you're going to bug out over every Vic, I can't use you. Best therapy? clear the case. Uh, Rebecca seems to think that they never get along. I don't think so. But what do you think? Um, I think that she respects him the least out of all the other people. But (laughs) she doesn't hate him. I don't think she hates him. I think she just doesn't respect him as much. And maybe it is because he's so pretty. I don't know. Maybe she's got a little... 
chip on her shoulder about that. I'm not really sure. Maybe she hates Julia Roberts. I'm not sure. (laughs) But um, I just think that she just doesn't have as much respect for him. I think he does. He's wishy-washy in like how great he is at certain cases. So, you know, you can always kind of count on Lenny. But can you always count on Curtis? I'm not sure. So I think that's where her her dissing comes in. And you, you do sense that vibe for sure. But I don't think she hates him. Well, I definitely know that Van Buren hated Nina Cassidy <laughs> because she wrote her ass right out of the 2-7. She did. Making way for Lupo. So they did this, you know, in the first episode with Ed Green, too. They immediately have to show that Curtis can run. Right. <laughs> totally. And run run well and run, like, super aggressively. With arms. With our, <laughs> so arms swinging, the tie over the neck. Oh, yeah. And then when super he catches hot. up to the bad guy, he just shoves him over. He tags that guy. That guy went down hard. Yeah. On yeah the and I was looking really hard to see if that was a stunt double, and I'm not sure it was. <laughs> <laughs> Took I him think right he up. was legit there. And then the dogs were chasing him. Just, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just making excuses for the sound effects in the background here. Just to wrap up this idea of casting, this leaves Stephen Hill, Adam Schiff, as the only season one actor left on the show. And we're in the middle of the run where there is a major cast change in 14 of the first 15 seasons. Wait, what, what do you mean a major? You mean like every single time? Well, that... we, yeah, Max Grevy in season yes, one and then yes. Paul Servino, right? Yes. And then we have, a, you know, Briscoe comes in and we lose Logan and right. now, you know, and then uh, Claire at the end of this season. So I think right through to, I think season 13 is probably the only season where we don't lose anybody in the first... <laughs> I mean, but this is the machine that is Law and Order. It's, it's like, at the, it's like interchange- the later seasons of ER. It's, <laughs> it's <laughs> totally. next man up, right? It's just next man up. Yeah, it's next man up. But I think you're right about Amaro. I think that he's definitely sort of like the the Curtis of SVU. And I think they they try to bring in a different sort of vibe with each of these people. And they brought this guy in and they're like, well, that sort of worked. Maybe we could try it on SVU and see if it works better. (laughs) (laughs) Nope. (laughs) It's true. And and the other thing, what's weird about this episode is that it's it's atypical in that we don't have the final, final twist that normally happens with these shows where, you know, there's a character hanging out, which I know we'll get to, hanging out this whole time, which I don't know about you guys, but I was thinking like, oh, the final, final twist is going to be like, that guy is behind the whole thing because it's just very right. linear in a way. Yes. <laughs> Maybe because everybody's busy busy introducing our, us to Curtis and all of his weird little character traits, they sort of forgot to throw in that actual like plotting stuff that they usually do, they usually do in this series. Well, they thought that that chase would be a lot longer, fill up more time. <laughs> How about just like the opening scene? If we go all the way back with the uh, the can picker, yes, he picks it up and just says, "Oh my God, come on, Dorothy, click your heels and wake up. Come on, come. Oh my God, help her!" I know when that was happening, I was like, either they are dying and hating this moment right now or they're like me and going like I want more of that guy can that guy come back (laughs) he was actually like sweet and had empathy and feeling and and like thought this little girl deserved something nobody else in the entire episode gives a shit about her and the mom is just yeah they're all fucking monsters yeah now in this first half we have a hey it's that guy hey it's that guy can you tell me the actor's name who plays Nick Capetti Aaron, go. Um, no, and it's driving me crazy. 
Isn't he? He's not the guy from Dexter, is he? No, 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 no. No, Rebecca, do you know the name of the actor? I know. I can see his face. Don't know his name. It's John Ventimiglia, Mm -hmm. and he's known for playing Artie on The Sopranos. He was the restaurant owner. Artie! You know, last time I checked, this was still the land of the red, white, and blue. I got rights. Now get me my lawyer. Yes! He's not related to Milo Ventimiglia, is he? Uh, I'd have to Google that shit. I don't know. <laughs> of Bent Gilmore Amelia. Girls fame and now on yes. This Is Us or that show I don't I watch that Milo. everyone talks about. <laughs> yeah, now he's made seven appearances in the Law & Order universe. Seven is a lot. Damn. Yeah. yeah, the only time he was sort of away was th- those years that the Sopranos were on the air. Wow. Uh, so he's obviously a oh New York-based God. actor looking for work. So he's like the Gina from Sesame Street of men of the Law & Order universe. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> totally. <laughs> Nailed it. <laughs> wow. I can totally see him now, like, doing all of those, like, restaurant scenes in The Sopranos where he's like, my cannelloni tonight is amazing and Tony's like I'll take one of everything yeah. Yeah. Tony your tab Maybe if the tab ran up and they like he had to approach Tony Soprano about paying his goddamn tab that's so awkward and then they burnt down the, the restaurant for the insurance money yep. Artie oh. never caught a break no he never did Poor Artie yeah and a plot twist that we never ever ever see coming or ever 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 happens again the mother sneaks a handgun past all those civil servants yes. and blows the bad guy away. Yes, it never happens on Law and Order. No one never. ever gets shot in court or on the courthouse steps. Yeah, whoever never brings a steps. gun to court. Yeah, it never happens. It only happens, basically, on Law and Order. I should have gotten married on those steps because they are the <laughs> safest steps in New York City. <laughs> <laughs> well, the guns are inside, right, at this point. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I mean, that whole thing, I don't know, it was unexpected, uh, it was became later a hackneyed thing that they do over and over again on the show. But I will defend it in one way. Yeah. That scene was beautifully shot and executed and creatively Oh, those are done. two words that, those are two verbs you shouldn't be using to describe it. Shot and executed? Scene. Yeah, exactly. But it was, it was. Because basically <laughs> the way they did it is they, is they like panned over to Claire. <laughs> We hear the gunshot and we see Claire being sprayed. We don't see the guy getting shot. We don't see any of the action. And I thought that was cool. Is, is it is it okay to say that? I thought it was cool. No, no, it's really cool. And especially for Law and Order, they they don't get super creative with that kind of stuff. You know, you usually hear the gunfire off camera and then they pan to the panicking crowd. But like, you know, who's doing the shooting this where you're like, is the dad doing it? Is the mom doing it? Is the like, who's doing the shooting? And then like, did Claire get hit? Because she kind of looked like she got hit for a second. And you're Mm -hmm. like, wait, what? So I really... I was I was kind of proud of them. I was like, good for you, Law and Order. That was a nice twist. Well, I was either proud of them or I thought they just saw Oliver Stone's JFK and it was like <laughs> you just see Jackie with a like like oh, Jackie oh, Jackie's yeah. in the next scene with a blood on her suit, which by the way, we see Claire in the next scene with a blood on her suit. And so I thought and either, so Jackie. Exactly. Yeah. Like, either this is amazing or it's literally a film student just getting his chance. <laughs> Behind the camera on the Law and Order set. How do you think that they did that scene with the with the blood? Do you think somebody just like had a big spaghetti spoon and a cue? <laughs> he splattered it, or yes. yeah, they have those really cool um, blood pouches. But in this case, since none of them were exploding on her, I think they probably had the mixture of blood. And then when they uh, they just did the 
the like I think you're right kind of like a spatula flick if you will (laughs) I think they took a bunch of um, packets of ketchup from Burger King (laughs) and they just slapped them together maybe maybe club soda is not taking that out it's too thick so they just do the spatula flick and then they sync it up with the gunshot and it's it's like masterful like she had that blood on her oh it was really good Hollywood types are creative like that and if you if you need like proof you just go to the deuce and you just watch what they did with potato soup oh god yuck (laughs) yuck 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 yuck. gross have you heard Sling TV offers the news you love for less hey wait you look and sound just like me I am you I'm the same news programs on Sling TV for less you mean you're me but for less money a lot less I'm all the favorite news programs and more on Sling TV, starting at just $40 a month. Everything great about me, but for less money, which makes me greater, don't you think? Get the news you love and more for less. Start Start saving saving today. today. Visit Sling.com to see your offer. Sling. Whether you're making the same breakfast that you have every day or baking a cake for an extra special day, eggs are a staple in our diets. Eggland's best eggs are nutritionally superior to ordinary eggs containing more vitamins and 25% less saturated fat. Not only are they better for you, but Eggland's best eggs taste better too. There's a reason that they're America's number one eggs. Visit egglandsbest.com for additional information and delicious recipes. In a fast-paced world, every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, We've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support. So you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia. When you support us at Patreon at just $5, you will get exclusive content. Like the Toby Ball's Deep Dive Book Club, Laura's Rage Walk, The Crime Writers on After Show, and Married with Podcast with Rebecca and me. Start getting your exclusive perks for just $5. Join our own elite squad at patreon.com slash partners in crime media. That's patreon.com slash partners in crime media. Now let's take a look at the second half of this episode. Karen Gaines is arrested for killing Capetti, but there's disagreement at the DA's office about how to proceed. Jack, don't you think she's been punished enough? For God's sake, Claire, for shooting up a courtroom? Thanks to her, you had a near-death experience. I'm surprised you're so magnanimous. Where in the canon of ethics does it say we can't show a little mercy? Because Nick Capetti was a man in need of killing. It wasn't up to her to give him what he deserves. Then why not let a judge decide what she deserves? They let Karen plea to man one, knowing it will come with at least some jail time. The judge instead sends her to a halfway house for two years. But McCoy can't stop investigating. They learn Jody's dad had custody because Karen was deemed unfit due to her drug use. Mom would drive Jody around and keep her from going home to torment her ex-husband. When they learned Capetti's boss had been at the same rehab clinic as Karen and conducted their own unflinching personal inventory of each other's genitals, they think the (laughs) fix is in. Well, much to Claire's shock, Jack goads Capetti's mother into lying about Nick getting a call from Karen while Jody was in the van. Oh, that boundary pusher McCoy. (laughs) 
Someone give me some pearls to clutch. It's enough of a bluff to get Karen to admit the plan was to kidnap Jody and put a scare into her ex-husband, but she never knew the hired help was capable of murder. Right. As they leave for the day, Jack says the Gaines must have really loved each other because only love can inspire that much hate, to which Claire gives him a secret smile again, splattering another 1990s androgynous business suit. <laughs> Just this time it was in the crotch. Ew. Okay, so Claire is nearly shot in the crossfire. Why is she the one who's so willing to turn the other cheek, Aaron? I think that she has that sort of... I don't know. I mean, I don't see her as motherly very much in this show, but I see that she can identify with this person wanting to just kill this piece of shit rapist, multiple offender. Like, it's just he's he's gross. And I can see that she would be like, okay, let's there's no way we can get this conviction. We're going to be ripped to ripped to shreds if we do do something, if we don't do something, even after it's revealed that she played a huge part in this. It's just kind of like, uh, this is a no-win situation. So, whereas Jack is just a fucking pit bull, except for when it comes to her. Right. Did you notice how easy he let her off in the office? He was like, okay, Claire, I guess we'll we'll do it your way. Man won. You know, like, <laughs> I was like, whoa, Jack. That And then, so because of you, Rebecca, now I can't unsee all of these, right. like, things. And then, like, you're totally right at the end when they're together in the elevator. There's that, like, knowing glance. And you're like, oh, oh, God. Oh, now I just see it all the time. And it affects everything. They're definitely all in at this point now with the secret storyline. Yeah. yeah, that they're having they're having an affair. They are. And I also yeah. want to go back and correct the record about something you have said now twice in this podcast. Claire's clothes <laughs> in this episode are not androgynous 1990s business suits. Claire is wearing badass, oversized, man-tailored like blouses and blazers in this show. And she looks amazing in this episode. So I just want to say what goes around comes around. Maybe like eight years ago, if we were bringing this episode, we'd be like, yes, that's some 90s androgynous BS workwear. But I think from my like 2017 eye, Claire looks amazing. So you should shut it. The other thing that I want to mention <laughs> is that Jill Hennessy, either by choice or by mistake, I can't tell which one it was, <laughs> when they went to interview Capetti's mom and she was super Jersey with like the over-the-top Sopranos right. Jersey accent. The mother, yeah. Yeah, Claire Kincaid started using the same accent right back to her. Mrs. Capetti, we know what happened. There's no sense protecting your son anymore. Like it was just totally married <laughs> the accent back. And I was just thinking either Claire is playing good cop and being like, yeah, we're from the same neighborhood, Mrs. Capetti. Or it's just Jill <laughs> Hennessy who's unable to not just mirror back because that's just learned in acting class. It was hard to tell. Either way, do not be smirch Miss uh, Claire Kincaid's outfits ever again on this podcast. I know. It's no, it's no rust colored Dana Scully 1990s exactly. outfit. You got it. Yikes. You got it. Now, there is a recurring theme throughout Law & Order, and that's the ethics around taking the law into your own hands. Yes, and divorce. And divorce, And right. divorce being horrible and, yeah. and the cause of all evil. And leading to your child's death. <laughs> so when, when it comes to this you know, debate about sort of vigilantism, Schiff does what he does best when it comes to these controversies. Says, plead it out. I don't want to deal with it. He's so pissed. I love it. How in hell does she get that gun into the courthouse? I don't know. You don't know. 
normal-looking people out there taking the law in their own hands. With eight million taxpayers cheering them on, they're lining up to pat Karen Gaines on the back. Right. Well, it doesn't take much effort to put yourself in her shoes. I have 40 witnesses who saw her shoot Capetti. I don't see what the problem is. The problem is that your jury will wish that they pulled the trigger. If we don't come down hard on Karen Gaines, somebody else will get the idea that it's okay to turn another courtroom into the OK Corral. And if she gets acquitted, what message does that send? I'm not taking that chance. You're talking to her lawyer. I He's love so it. Pissed. And I love how the gun is literally thrown away in one line. It's like, <laughs> how did she get a gun in here? I don't know. You don't know. Well, that's <laughs> great. And that's it's dropped. It wasn't yeah, my job to frisk her. Yeah, how the fuck did she get the gun in there? <laughs> Nobody cares about this. People taking the law into their own. You've never seen that before, Schiff, ever. They've never seen people be vigilantes. You should be so surprised right now. That's right. It was it was ridiculous. He's probably like, we've got 14 more seasons of this show. <laughs> and then we have 19 more of SVU. People are going to get shot all over the place. Listen, I've never written a script. And I've only seen scripts like on TV, like when I see a screenshot of a script. Mm -hmm. I just imagine that every script for these episodes, it's like Schiff, colon, parentheses, beleaguered and sighing. (laughs) (laughs) And then the line. Because he's always like beleaguered and sighing, right? Yeah. I think that's the perfect caption. Yeah. It's usually usually like uppercased, like beleaguered and sighing. And then it'll be like (laughs) as he walks to the table, you know? But would you share his actual concern that it, it's not about this case, but it's about the next one and the next one and the next one when it comes to vigilantes? Oh, yeah. I mean, that's Jack's thing, right? That even the worst of us deserve a trial, even though Jack totally cheats to get a trial. But whatever. That's aside. Uh, <laughs> they're not wrong. I mean, I think that that's a theme that comes up over and over again. And I think in SVU, they're a little bit more sympathetic toward the vigilante victim. But in Law and Order, they just don't give a shit. They don't give a shit if you're a victim. They'll send you to Rikers. No problem. It's not even an issue. And I, I, I'm kind of like on, on board with that in a weird way, especially when I watch these episodes and Adam Schiff is so beleaguered. He's very convincing. Except for this time, because like, right, you know, like they're all kind of like, we're not going to win this and it's not going to happen. And it's it's because it's the pre SVU days. Right. right. Like, exactly. So that's this is a child death, a child, tragic, brutal crime. And so they're like, this is how they get out there their frustrations or or their their tiny bit of empathy that they would have for any victim like you know i mean for a victim of you know what i mean like for the mom who shot the guy yeah yeah for the victim's family that's how they're doing it pre-svu and then they just kind of drop that shit and by the (laughs) way like the poor actual victim in this case like we don't even talk about her in the second half i know it's a child it's a dead child who gets dropped like a hot potato as a plot point true it's so So sad Uh, well, in the second half, we have a Hey, It's That Girl. Hey, it's that girl. Aaron, can you name the actress who played Karen Gaines? Okay, uh, I'm blanking on her name at this moment, but I, I could actually, you know, sing Suddenly Seymour for you, if you'd like, from Little Shop of Horrors, because that is where she is from. She plays Audrey in Little Shop of Horrors, yeah, and she right. also is... From Pushing Daisies, and she also was in, like, the weirdest X-Files episode ever about God, played by Burt Reynolds. And um, <laughs> look it up. It's amazing. She's everything. She is everything. Yeah, you're describing. You're describing Ellen Green, Thank the actress you. Thank with you. the... 
the funny lisp and uh, sort of the bubbly. Adorable underbite. You don't know what I did for her for 10 years. I stayed in a nightmare marriage just so she could have a real home. I fought for custody for her, but he had more money, more lawyers. He turned me into an addict. And then used it against me. Yeah, you know, yes. she did um, maybe two or three years ago a in concert version of Little Shop of Horrors she of the music did. at age sixty four. Wow, she's amazing. And yeah. every single time I would see her on screen, I would think, "Oh, Seymour!" I couldn't not think it. It's impossible. Like she's so embodied that role that even as the much tortured ex addict. Uh, ex-wife of the manipulative rich guy, she'll always be Audrey, right? She'll always be Audrey. Yeah, the one who really didn't mean to kill her daughter, but did. And <laughs> all I can hear is like, suddenly Seymour, and then thinking to myself, well, if you, shit, if you'd brought that gun, then to the little shop of horrors, you wouldn't have had that problem. Why didn't you bring the gun there? <laughs> And then you could have had Seymour all to yourself. I think she could have taken <laughs> Nick Capetti and just like thrown him into the, the, the flower, plant. the giant plant, exactly. and it would have been the end of it the... It would have been all fine. Yeah. Now, McCoy gets to go all McCoy level seven when he <laughs> hints to Mrs. Capetti that she can make up basically whatever she wants to say so long as it incriminates the woman who shot her son. Yeah. Now, we mm-hmm. like to think of you know Jack McCoy as you know maverick and rule breaker, but do you ever look back and say... Well, man, he's really breaking the rules on that. Oh, totally. He t- and he's totally all about the sh- the fancy, schmancy, legal maneuvering, perjury, schmergery, Brady, schmady. Yeah, uh, he's sketchy as shit. He totally is. <laughs> I-, I-, I do think that we think of him, you know, broadly as a justice warrior. You know, he's the admirable yeah. Jack McCoy. He becomes the DA. You look at almost any individual episode where he's actually prosecuting a case. Not almost any. Many of them. He comes off as like the bad DA in every shitty true crime podcast you've ever heard. Like <laughs> the one who's breaking yeah. the rules, the one who's ignoring the exculpatory evidence and not sharing it. And Claire calls him on this shit, A, and then he throws her the keys and tells her to drive. He's a super dick in this episode. I don't know. Do you think yeah. that's a sign of love, Aaron? Here, drive the car? <laughs> I think it's his jacked up version of it it's pun intended um jacked up version of love it's like okay claire you get to take the wheel on this one it's just (laughs) take the wheel yeah jesus take the wheel claire because your story's not gonna end well i think he's saying like (laughs) hey man i only drive a motorcycle you're gonna have to drive the sedan oh my god the motorcycle it's true but she was smoking Uh, in that man cut little short sleeve blouse and those big trousers she was yeah she is smoking (laughs) jill hennessy's a babe Maybe she was like preparing for crossing Jordan when she did that like <laughs> terrible accent because her accent in that was equally terrible. <laughs> and I love her. I think she's fantastic. But I was like, you're from Boston, right? <laughs> like what? <laughs> but Jersey by way of Boston? I'm not sure. <laughs> it's wicked awesome. So again, Jack fixes the case by basically just saying, hey, why don't you come to my office That's right. and we'll talk it out. Which is the solution to every case, right? Yes. But the solution to every case, in this case that Jack also has thrown in his lap, is that Miss poor Mrs. Gaines, poor Audrey, has the worst fucking lawyer in the entire world. The guy who the entire episode is like, nope, we're just going to say we didn't do that. We're just going to say she was wronged. We're just going to say this. All of a sudden, Jack just throws out one fact and the lawyer's like, how about man too? <laughs> <laughs> 
And I'm just it's like, so true. Dude, you guys can still just stand up and walk out. You don't have to capitulate. You don't have to crumble. There actually isn't anything here. This is all bullshit. And the lawyer immediately wants to cop a plea. What he wanted to say was, I'm sorry, I was so enthralled by my client's monologue that I forgot to tell her to shut the fuck up. <laughs> All right, let's take a look at the real-life story that inspired this episode. It's time for Ripped from the Headlines. Can't wait, as always. You think you know who did you it. You think you know who did it. But you don't know who did it. You don't know who did it. Ripped from the Headlines. This episode takes a page from the real-life story of Ellie Nestler. In 1993, Nestler shot and killed Daniel Mark Driver in a Northern California courtroom. Driver worked as a dishwasher at a Christian summer camp. In 1988, he was accused of molesting five boys, including Nestler's seven-year-old son, Willie. At a preliminary hearing on the crime, Driver flashed Nestler a cocky smile when he entered the courtroom. As she was led to the witness stand, Nestler shot Driver in the back of the head with a small handgun. Townspeople largely approved of her actions. But public support for the 40-year-old mother waned when it was revealed she was high on methamphetamine when she shot Driver. Her 10-year conviction was overturned due to a jury misconduct and she was released after three years. Her troubles with the law didn't end there, though. Nestler was in and out of jail on various drug charges. As a juvenile, Willie Nestler was arrested 18 times on various crimes. In 2005, within an hour of his release on good behaviour, he stomped a man to death and received a life sentence. <gasps> Ellie Nestler died of breast cancer in 2008 at the wow. age of 56. Poor Ellie Nestler. Um, so you guys just gave me PTSD, so thanks <laughs> for that. Oh, shit. Okay, how about this? Uh, <laughs> vigilante justice, thumbs up or thumbs down? Uh, in this case, thumbs down. I mean, I I will take yeah. umbrage with um, maybe the way you wrote that for our reader, Mr. Seifreder, to deliver it. Because you said that the defendant shot uh, Mrs. Nestler like some sort of smile. And- yeah, that's no, that's what they um, all the witnesses said. Right. That she came if he hadn't done that cocky smile, she wouldn't have gone to get the gun. She brought a gun to court. <laughs> Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm not. I'm just thinking it's a great detail. It though. is. I yeah. also call bullshit on the high in methamphetamines thing because that was just a little mommy's little helper or diet pills, right? <laughs> it was fen fen. It was. Let's face it. It was fen-fen. absolutely. I mean, you test me right now, Kevin. Please. <laughs> <laughs> so, in case you were wondering, no, the public was not screened for weapons in that courtroom either. Sounds like no. Yeah. Yeah, I actually remember that case um, really well, but I had no idea about the after effects of it. And that is just so tragic. It's what a bummer, man. Yeah. Now, there was a a TV movie about that case called Judgment Day Mm -hmm. starring Christine Lottie. Oh. Uh, Nestler was portrayed more as a church going woman and less as a drug addict. You know, I actually still call bullshit on her being a drug addict. That may have been something that came up in the prosecution of the case. I don't know. You're just I just heard an English guy read it like a summary for two minutes. I don't think that somebody maybe she was on drugs because her I don't know, her son had been murdered or molested. I mean, it's like she's still a drug addict, though. So what? Well, I'm. it's, it's just like, it's. It, it, <laughs> I'm just saying. She shot somebody. She went Kevin, to jail. a lot of people who go to church also do drugs. I'm just saying the two are not mutually exclusive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I agree. And yeah, I mean, I, I think it's. I think it is kind of like maybe one of those things where 
if she wasn't a drug addict or if she was on meth, like say she was on meth, she probably took it so she'd have the balls to shoot that mf -er who molested her kid. So there you go. You know what else makes you test positive for amphetamines? What? Sudafed. Just saying. (laughs) Breaking bad. She did have the sniffles when she shot the guy, so who knows? (laughs) You know, I mean, obviously it's rough growing up being victimized twice, but God damn, Willie Nessler, he beat a guy up, and then when he got out of jail, he immediately found that same guy and stomped the guy's head and neck. And now you got to remember, he was let out on good behavior, but they had all these jailhouse audio tapes of him saying he was going to kill this guy. Right, right. I'm starting to think that this town isn't really good at public safety. I'm starting to think that. (laughs) Between (laughs) bringing the guns in the court and just like, oh, yeah, he wants to go stomp on somebody. All right. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I mean, I've I've read too many stories. We've done too many cases on our other show. Like, we know prison will totally fuck you up. It will, right? Yeah, not to mention the fact that he's already messed up. He's a victim. And his, and his mom's been in, in and out of jail, and he's a victim, and just seeing like what happened to her with the court case probably made him feel guilty, and yada, yada, yada. So just the cycle's never ending. So, he, I mean, going to prison isn't going to give you the help you need, but shit, man, you couldn't have waited a couple of weeks. <laughs> yeah, <you should. laughs> I don't know. Enjoy a nice you know, French dip before you go and, yeah. you know, I don't know. I Do just... you know what this family needs? They need a little bit of Ray Curtis sharing his earnest wisdom with them. <laughs> they <laughs> need true. him saying, studies show that if you <laughs> don't shoot someone in court, you won't later end up in jail and your children will later not end up stomping people to death. That's what they need. I think that study's inconclusive, though. <laughs> <laughs> Actually. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that is going to do it for us. We want to thank our guest, Aaron Fox. Aaron, where can our listeners follow you online? You can follow me on Twitter at Squee TV. That's S-Q-U-E-E TV. Squee! Squee! Squee TV. (laughs) And um, for the podcast, it's you, me, and PTSD. And on Instagram, I'm Aaron underscore M underscore Fox. (laughs) Rebecca Lavoie, how can our listeners follow you? Well, I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Reb Lavoie. You can also follow our other podcasts at Crime Writers On. And please, if you've even seen one episode of Fixer Upper, check out my other show, HGTV and me. You can also tweet to us at Lawn or Pod. Follow us on Instagram at These Are Their Stories Podcast or track me on Twitter at Kevin P. Flynn. Our newsreader was Cy Freighter. Our theme music was composed and performed by Uncanny Valleys. Line editing by Henry Lavoie. Content assistance from Travis Roy and Lily Flynn is handling our promotions. If you enjoy this podcast, leave a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps others discover this program just like you did. All clips in this podcast were used in compliance with U.S. Copyrights Act fair use exemption for criticism and commentary. Special thanks to the elite squad of the Law & Order Wiki community for preserving the evidence. If you want to know what episodes we're talking about in our upcoming shows, go to lawandorderpodcast.com. Sign up for our newsletter for a chance to be our next Law & Order Marathon winner. These Are Their Stories was recorded in Square Egg Studio and is a production of Partners in Crime Media. Partners in Crime Media.
Whether you're making the same breakfast that you have every day or baking a cake for an extra special day, eggs are a staple in our diets. Eggland's best eggs are nutritionally superior to ordinary eggs, containing more vitamins and 25% less saturated fat. Not only are they better for you, but Eggland's best eggs taste better too. There's a reason that they're America's number one eggs. Visit egglandsbest.com for additional information and delicious recipes.